All right. We're, uh, we're in 1 John chapter 2 this morning, uh, verses 18 through 27. 1 John chapter 2, 18 through 27. So please open your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. If you don't have a Bible, there should be in the, uh, one in the seat back in front of you. It looks like this. If not, you can raise your hand. One of the ushers will bring you one uh, somewhere. Children are dismissed. That's right. Also, I want to apologize uh, for the technical difficulties. We're, uh, it's going to be like that for the next couple of weeks as we work through changing over systems. And sorry for the delay at home. This is not like a dubbed kung fu movie. Um, it's, it's, a, it's actually it's a pretty bad one, I know. <laughs> Anyways. First John chapter two, verse 18 is where we are this morning, 18 through 27. It says, in just, just in verse 18, children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. Yikes. Uh, in Matthew chapter 24, I would flip over there if I were you, Matthew chapter 24 in in basically, Matthew chapter 24 through pretty much chapter 25 is something called the Olivet Discourse. And, and basically, uh, it's, it's Jesus' extended teaching on the end times. You know, John just said, hey, man, it's the last, it's the last hour. And we know it because there's, we've heard the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it's the last hour. Well, Jesus talks about this last hour, which is basically the time from when Jesus, uh, when, when Jesus ascended into heaven to when he's coming back. It's the last hour, the last day, the last times. There's different phrases that are used for this time. So we are in what is called the last hour. But in Matthew 24, and Jesus begins his, his, his teaching there, the Olivet Discourse, uh, and he said, he's talking to his disciples. They're, they're, they're around the temple and they're marveling at one of the seven wonders of the world. They're marveling at the temple and how wonderful it is and how ornate it is. And then Jesus says this crazy thing for a Jew. He says, listen, I tell you that not one stone will be left upon another. This whole thing is going to be decimated. It's going to be flattened. And they were just absolutely blown by, away by this. And as they walked out of Jerusalem, down the Kidron Valley, up to the Mount of Olives, it's, it's pretty close. It's just a mile or so, a mile, couple miles there. Um, they're perplexed. And in Matthew 24, verse 3, they asked Jesus, say, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And so if you want to understand Matthew 24, um, that's the three-part message there. Uh, what will be the sign of your coming? I'm sorry, uh, when will these things be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? But that's not what we're doing this morning. And, and But the very first thing that Jesus tells him, before he gets into all that, I know, I just had to leave that for you because I like it. Helps me. Trees are wonderful. But uh, the very first thing that Jesus says in verse 4, before he starts this big, giant teaching on it, what does he say? See that no one leads you astray. That's the very first thing he says. See that no one leads you astray. Jesus begins with this warning because what is going to typify the time from when he leaves until the time he comes back is a time for an intentional, powerful, satanically inspired age of deception. It's going on and it's going to start with a certain intensity and it's going to crescendo 
at the end of this time with the return of Jesus Christ. That's what's going to be going on. There's going to be a demonically empowered uh, deception organized and inspired by Satan. This last hour is a time of great deception. And in verse 5, Jesus begins to describe the various forms of the deception that will become be happening as soon as he departs until he comes back. Verse 5 says, For many will come in my name. Hey, I'm coming in the name of Jesus. And guess what? I'm the Christ. Or he's saying that I'm the Christ. There's, so there's going to be many antichrists. So, so people who actually pose as being the Messiah. And we've, even in our day and age and time when we have cults and all these people saying, hey, I'm the Messiah and all this type of stuff. This stuff is, is prevalent today. So there'll be those directly who say that I am the Christ. I am the one you're waiting for. And so there will be many false messiahs. This is going to typify the last hour. We've seen that over the last two millennia. And for the sake of time this morning, just skip down to verse 11. In Matthew 24, it says, And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Lead many astray. Who will do that? Many false prophets. So false Christs, false prophets, Religious deception is going to abound in this last age from the time of Jesus' departure until his return. And if you read through, this deception will come with greater intensity. Skip down to verses 23 and 24. Jesus Jesus reiterates this. Excuse me. He says, Then if anyone says to you, Look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs, And false prophets will arise and perform what? Great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. The deception will come to such a pitch that there will be great signs, great wonders performed. And as you're looking at these signs and wonders performed, you're going, wow, this has got to be the real deal. There's actually something behind what they're doing. And it says there that they will be performed by what? False Christs and false prophets. And this is all going to culminate in the false Christ, in the false prophet, the Antichrist, the false prophet, his sidekick, the evil trinity, Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. And they are going to deceive the world. And they're going to do it through lying signs and wonders, and they're charismatic and their their politics and all this type of stuff, their charisma, their politics and all this type of stuff. It's going to lead people astray, satanically inspired. The deception is going to be so great that even the elect would be deceived if that were possible. I love how the Lord adds in there, if that were possible. Why? Because believers believe. I love it. The deception is going to come in greater intensity, greater Deception, greater wonders, greater signs, as will the signs leading up to Christ's return, all the earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars and all these types of things like pregnancy, how those, you know, women, I'm not going to explain it to you, but uh, ladies who have had babies, you know, it's just, it starts as pain and then it gets pain and then you start adding multipliers to your pain. That's what it's going to be like. That's what's actually happening in this world. Right now, you see that we're, we're kind of growing in greater intensities in this world. We see uh, deception that happens, and then it gets greater, and then we see political uproar that, that kind of 
comes up and then it calms down and then it gets greater and then it calms down. It comes. So guess what's coming next? Something greater and more deceptive and more uh, of what Jesus says there in Matthew 24. I wish I could explain it all right now. I can't. Go back and read it. But until that final act comes, until the end of the age, which I believe we're close to, there's going to be many false Christs and false prophets and false teachers under that same satanic power and influence that are going to come and attempt to deceive believers and everybody else, by the way. And so John is writing his letter. He's combating these false teachers that have been infiltrating the church. They've been coming around the church. They've been teaching uh, within the church and people are starting to listen to them and they're being influenced by their teaching and all this type of stuff. Uh, and then John says, therefore, we know it's the last hour because this is, this is happening just as Jesus said it would. Now, again, they knew the last hour would culminate in the coming of the Antichrist. That's what he said. You've heard it said, you know, the Antichrist is coming. But now many Antichrists, many people who are acting like he would are, are on the scene. <clears throat> and just a reminder, if you were not with us uh, too long ago, um, we went through the book of Daniel, and we really went into the depth on the depths on, on the Antichrist and, and who he is and all that type of stuff. So I'm not going to reteach that. I encourage you to go back and look at that um, in our messages. But this Antichrist, he's referred to as the beast. He's referred to as a son of perdition. Uh, he's referred to as a lot, of, a lot of things. You can see him in Revelation 11, 13, and 17, and other places. He has a lot of names, but we kind of know him by what John calls him here the Antichrist, pretty much the only time it's mentioned. But the Antichrist is the final satanically empowered world leader that rises to power in what I believe is the last seven years right before Christ's return. He is the amalgamation. He is the, uh, the compilation of all the significant Antichrist prototypes that we see in Scripture all pushed into one. And you can see that in the imagery of the beast that he is, a, a, um, a put-together of all these different world powers throughout the ages that are typically against God and have been satanically inspired. But he's going to be this, this person those, who's de demonically influenced, and he's going to be the final product ruling over the kingdoms of men uh, before Christ returns. Basically, Satan incarnate, if that were possible. And you can go back and study that in your, if you wish. But John says, you know that Antichrist is coming. You know the, the big dude's coming. He's, he's coming. That's happening. That guy's coming, but you see among you that there are those who are operating in the spirit of Antichrist. That's, that's what he's talking about. There are those who are Antichrist. They're against Christ. Remember, Jesus said, many will come in my name, saying that I am he, or there will be false prophets prophesying in his name and saying all these things. Why? To lead many astray, to lead many away from Christ. There's going to be deception. And actually, we know before Christ returns, there's going to be the apostasy, the great falling away, where there is a true pruning of those who truly believe and don't. But remember, Jesus said, many will come in my name. There's going to be deception. There's going to be an active work of Satan in and among his church, the Lord's church. There is among us an active work, work of Satan to deceive you regarding the person of Jesus Christ. 
He's at work. He's at work in Walla Walla. He's at work all over the place, attacking the gospel of Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ, the one, only one whom through men can be saved and reconciled to the Father. It's happening. Now, the one, who are these people that John's talking about? The ones that John was speaking of here, these antichrists, these people that are among them, were of great concern to John because of verse 19. He tells you who they were. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Now, John talks a lot like Yoda. It's kind of, he keeps, <laughs> you know, he's not like a linear speaker like Paul. He just kind of goes point A, and then he does a run-on sentence and keeps going with thought. John speaks in circular uh, things. He'll say something, he'll say a few things, and then he'll, he'll lose his thought, you think, and he comes back to it, and he says a little more about it. And then he goes off and he comes back and does a little bit more about it. And he just does this. You'll see this in Revelation and, all, and John and 1 John. But what John says is saying here, these particular false cheap teachers that were attempting to deceive them, they were those who had been with the apostles. How powerful is that? They had been with them at one time, but they had left them. They had departed from them. And you know, this isn't, it, it, you know, when you're looking at, the deception of the enemy, it isn't the Satan worshipers that you need to be worried about, right? I mean, it's like they walk around and, you know, they got the pentagram tattooed to their forehead and they're, you know, whatever. It's like, okay, well, we know where your allegiance is right now. It's, that's, not, that's not what we're worried about, right? That's, those are the ones you need to worry about who are deceiving you. You, you just know what they are. They, at least you can give them that, right? But what you need to watch out for is what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 15. He said, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inward they are ravenous wolves. Judas was the poster child of false prophets, false apostles, false disciples. Although Jesus knew who he was from the beginning, John 6, 46, uh, 64 tells us, Jesus knew all along who he was. He chose him because he had a purpose to fulfill in God's plan of betraying him. The other disciples, did they have any clue about Judas all along? They had no clue. Every day they went, and this brings up a lot of questions. So when Jesus gave them power to go out and do signs and wonders, what do you think? I mean, he was right there. What, did he, what was, I don't know. Was he doing signs and lying signs and wonders and things like that? Right alongside with them? Not inspired by the Lord, but by the enemy? So that they would think that he was all that? I don't know. But the other disciples were totally clueless about Judas. They didn't know his inner workings. They didn't know his deception. They didn't know his love of money. They didn't know he used to steal. That's why he wanted to be the, the money bad guy. They didn't even know up until the night they were betrayed. And, and I think only John caught on maybe in that upper room. When Jesus said, go and do what you must do, because they all thought he was going to go make provisions because he held the money. They had no clue. They were in the dark, but the Lord was not in the dark. 
And that's the scary thing about these guys. Right? It's not that Satanists or the, the Antichrist person who's out there saying, yeah, Jesus is a fool and all this type of stuff. That's, that's clear. It's the wolves in sheep clothing. That's how the enemy infiltrates. He gets in. And then everybody seems that this is a good person. And then what happens is they start leading them astray slowly and slowly on the person of Jesus Christ before you know it. It's like, oh, Jesus isn't God. You start messing with the person of Jesus, you mess with salvation. And it's deceptive. And it's all over the place. John very well could have had in mind some of these men that were like Judas or that had come, that walked alongside of him for a long time. We know John had three disciples. And there might have been others there, and some of those might have walked alongside with them, did the thing, and then they walked away. And actually, we know that's what he's talking about. He had personally known some of these people that had walked with them, and now they had walked away and become false teachers. And they were the ones that were talking to these people that John's writing to and influencing them. An example of one of these men was a guy named Demas. You guys remember Paul? Um, in, he's about to die, basically, in, in, in his last letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. We read Paul speaking to Timothy. He says, do your best to come to me. He's talking to Timothy. He says, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Well, who in the world's Demas? Well, if you look at Colossians chapter 4, 14, you find that Luke and Demas are, are two of the people saying hello to everybody. You know how Paul at the end of his letters goes, hey, everybody, so-and-so says hello. And so, hey, Luke and Demas are all saying hi. How, you know, they greet you in the Lord. Paul was clueless. Philemon, chapter 1, verse 24, Demas, Demas is identified among other people as a fellow worker with Paul. Walked around with Paul hung around with Paul, worked with him in the ministry. But we read here at the end of Paul's life, 2 Timothy 4.10, that Demas loved this present world. He loved this present world. Last week we just finished. What was John just talking about? Love for what? Love the world. If you love the world and you love the things in the world, if that's where your allegiance is, Guess what? The love of the Father is what? It's not in you. And so in his mind, John is saying, listen, this is what it's like to walk in the light. This is what, it, what happens when you're in fellowship with God. When you're going to be in fellowship with other people walking in the light. You're going to confess your sin. You're going to be in the word and you're going to be listening to what God says. You're going to be following. Your life's going to look like Christ. You're going to be growing in Christ. You're, you're going to, be wrestling with that love for the world. There's not going to be room for it. The Spirit's not going to give you that joy of the, the, that you used to have and just reveling in the world. There's going to be no roommate, and you're going to go after the Lord and, and, and push away the world. And then he turns and says, now, there were people who were walking among us that looked like they were doing that, but what happened is they left us. They left us. 
Demas loved the world. And Demas is just an example who was someone who was with one of the apostles. Can you imagine? Like someone who was walking with John and they come to you and they start telling you about God and you're like, oh yeah, I'm all ears. Let's go. This guy was with John. This guy was with Paul. What influence that would have and how perfectly that the enemy would play into that as they are going after the world and they're no longer following Christ. And they start saying things like, yeah, you know, yeah, Jesus is great. But you know, he's not really God. He's not really the Messiah. He's one of many. And all this type of stuff. Demas is just an example of one who was with the apostles, but they, he abandoned them. He broke fellowship and went after the world and rejected Christ. And became, they were antichrist. That's what it is. Now, we don't know if Demas is one of these false teachers. We don't, we don't know if that's what he did. It just says that he went after this present world. His life was proclaiming antichrist, but we don't know if he was a false teacher. But John says that, that he loved the world basically and not Christ. I mean, that's what Paul said. And John says that these guys who are coming in and teaching you or influencing you, they went out from the apostles and they, they were antichrist. Antichrist did, means they did not persevere. They did not continue after the Lord. They did not continue in the faith. They wouldn't have continued. They would have continued with them, John says, if they were with them. That is, if they were in the light and they were following Christ, they would have continued. What does that mean? It means not that they wouldn't have just stayed physically with the apostles. That's not what he's talking about. We would have continued in fellowship together. We would have continued light. We would have continued following the Lord. They would have continued in confession in the word and walking with Jesus. They wouldn't have abandoned the work that God had called them to, all those types of things. This isn't about the Lord leading someone to a, you know, to be a part of a different fellowship. You know, we kind of like to use those words in people. Oh, they went out from us because they were never with us. You know, <laughs> they're antichrist. They went to a different church. That's not it. You know, God can move people to different churches and do different things. That's the Lord can do that. That's not it. This is this isn't about brothers following the Lord's call to seminary. Amen. <laughs> this is about people denying Jesus, his lordship, who he is, denying the gospel. That's what it's about. His deity, his commands, his call. John's is saying, if they were his, they would have remained with us. That is walking in the light. They left that John says at the end of verse 19, that they went out, that it might become plain that they are all not of us. They all are not of us. They're not really Christians. They're not with us. They were never with us. It's the grace of God that they actually departed. They were leaving the truth of the gospel. And this showed that they were never really saved, I believe. They were never really a part of the true fellowship, the true. You know, this is scary stuff. You know, you can be in a Bible teaching church. You can be involved in various ministries, really involved in various ministries. And you can be friends with the leadership. You know, you can have everyone fooled, but. And never truly be born again. Never truly be walking in the light. Never truly be in fellowship. And it was these men that now had come to deceive the other believers. You see, the, again, the greatest deception that we, we face is, is not from the outright 
atheist. It's from the religionist. It's from the philosopher. It's from the artist. It's from the pastor. The wolf in sheep's clothing. Remember what Paul said about how the enemy works? 2 Corinthians 11, if you're taking notes. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 13 through 15. Now, in this chapter, Paul is boasting a lot. He's talking about everything he's done. And the reason why he's saying all that is because that's what the false guys were doing. <laughs> they were boasting about what they did and all this type of stuff. And Paul goes, well, I've got things to boast. Do you want me to boast? And he just like blew them away with all his boastings. And, he, and in the middle of it, he's like, I'm insane. <laughs> he's like, as if this were really, no, my boasting is in Christ. All that stuff, is, he uses the word done. All that stuff is done. It's just Christ. That's where I boast. Anything that's noble and worthy that I've done, it's all him. That's his point here. But he's talking about all the false teachers that were coming along. And he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 in verses 13 through 15, Paul's speaking of these false deceivers that were among them. He says, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Where did they learn that from? Where did that come from? What's verse 14 say? And no wonder, Paul says, for even what? Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. How many of you have had the picture of Satan of being some ugly demonic thing with horns coming out of his head and like if you saw him, you'd freak out and... I'm sure he's, I don't know. I'm not going to comment. But what do we see the scriptures describe him at as one of the archangels? More beautiful and lofty than anything we can imagine. On the outside. What does he say? And no wonder even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his what? His servants. How many of you have his ministers in your Bible? Same word. If his ministers, Satan has ministers. If his ministers also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. And what does it say about their end? Their end will be according to what? Their deeds. Because good trees make good fruit and bad trees make bad fruit. Jesus says, I will judge everyone according to what they have done. Scary thing. Are we saved by works? No, but the works are the proof. So these antichrists who come out from the apostles were now trying to deceive the believers. Now, how in the world is the average Christian going to compete with the satanically inspired, deceptive minister of Satan among them? How, how is that going to happen? We're not going to, if the apostles didn't know, if, the, if Paul didn't know, if the disciples didn't know, do you think we're going to know? Like how to figure all that stuff out? Not in our own stuff. How are we going to survive without the apostle John on speed dial? 
Verse 20. What's it say? But you, you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. You've been anointed by the Holy One. He says, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. The difference between the false apostles and believers was that the believers have been anointed by the Holy One. What does that mean? This is referring to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit if you're born again. You've been born again by the Spirit of God. His Spirit, the Spirit of truth, dwells within you as a believer. It's a down payment. It's yours. He's with you. God's Spirit indwells the believer. Not so with the false teacher. They speak from their deception. We have the truth dwelling within us. And the lie that the believers were being told was that they needed special knowledge from these guys. Oh, what you need, I've got. Only 1995. You know, in my Learjet and all this type of stuff, right? And they hyped it up and they got them. And then all of a sudden people started looking to them. They started looking to them as, as the means of their salvation and all this type of stuff. And boy, that's just wonderful. I mean, who doesn't like to be loved and all this stuff? And they would fleece the flock and they would do all these things. But see, God's spirit indwells the believer, not so with the false teacher. Again, they speak from their deception. We have truth within us. God's truth, his, his spirit is indwelling dwelling with you. And, and the lie that the believers were being told was that they needed that special knowledge. And John says, by nature of your new birth, you have all the knowledge that you need in Christ. There's no special knowledge that's gonna, that these guys have that you, don't, you aren't going to have in Christ, the gospel. Your whole, the Holy Spirit is your teacher. Does that make sense? I know, I've got to get into Gnosticism, and I don't want to do that. John says, by nature of your new birth, you have all the knowledge you need. You, you have all you need in Christ. And so John simply reiterates in verse 22, the truth that they already knew was being under assault by the false teachers. Listen, as a believer, when you have false things that come against you, whether you understand all the verses and, the and, and all those things, you know within you that just something's off. Amen? When you've come to Christ, all of a sudden there's a light in you. And when darkness approaches that, there's a, there's a discernment that kicks up. Listen, that's God within you. That, you got to be careful because we need to grow in that and discern that. We don't want to roll off of those feelings all the time. But there's, there's, a, there's an indwelling of the Holy Spirit within the believer that, that kicks against the darkness. It kicks against the lie. John says, you've been told the truth. You know the truth. You've been taught the truth. You, you know this is off. You don't need any more knowledge from these guys. You know what God's teaching you inside. And, and by the way, this is, I'm, don't worry, I'm going to talk about the word in just a second. Some of you are freaking out because it's kind of. But he says there in verse 22, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Listen, you know this. They're coming to you denying that Jesus is the Christ. You know the truth. You know that he is. Amen. Why? Because you have the anointing. That's how you came to him. You, 
You know him. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. John's not teaching them new truth. He's reminding them of old truth. The one who's Antichrist, they deny the Father and the Son. These false teachers were denying that Jesus was the Christ, that he was the Messiah, that he came from the Father, that he was the Son of God, that he was God the Son. John says, this is Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. Now, here's the interesting thing. Some say, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe that he came from God the Father. I believe he's a good teacher. Well, sorry. You've denied the Father because you've denied the Son. Or that he was a good man or a good teacher, you know, and all this type of stuff. That's the Antichrist. To deny that Jesus is the Christ, who he proclaimed to be, the fulfillment of prophecy who came from God, God in the flesh. That's Antichrist. And we have cults that have popped up. They're easier to identify, like Jehovah's Witnesses. They'll tell you, they'll read you Bible verses all day long, and you go, man, these people are smart in the Bible. That's amazing. But you know what they deny? That Jesus is God. You can't get around it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, John chapter 1. In the Word, it became flesh and dwelt among us. God with us, Emmanuel. Over and over and over. The Jehovah's Witness is denied his deity. The Mormons, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, coming in his name. They say that Jesus was the spirit brother of Lucifer. Jesus and Satan are brothers. So whenever you get the, you know, the 10-speed team that comes to your house and starts talking to you about, you know, Jesus Christ, it's not the Jesus of the Bible. It is a different Jesus. And people are nice and they're dressed nice or whatever it might be. They might look like ministers of light. They're not. They've denied the Son. And, and the theology goes on to basically say that one day, if you follow all the steps that they give and you get married in the temple, then you will have your own planet. And you will have eternal relations with your spiritual wife that you married in the temple. Now, why do you think they have those temples? And then you will become the gods that populate that planet. That's what they believe. That's not what's on their website. They took that down. They realized that sounds weird. <laughs> yeah. But you go down to it and you start asking about this stuff, they, you've got to go for it, right? So I'm saying that there are people of all kinds of thoughts about who Jesus is that have nothing to do with the truth of, of who he is revealed in Scripture. And they claim that they're Christians or in connection with God, but the bottom line is, verse 23, no one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever confesses the Son has the Father. No one who denies Jesus Christ has come to know the Father. You need to know that about every world religion. Gosh, you're so narrow-minded. Yes, super narrow. So narrow. What did Jesus say? The way to destruction is wide and broad. And many go down it, 
but the way is narrow. Do you find it? So narrow. Why is it so narrow? Because it's Jesus Christ. Not who you want him to be, but who he declares himself to be. And just a warning, you know, that the movement I see in America in popular teaching and preaching, all this stuff, we are making God who we want him to be, not who he declares himself to be. That's dangerous. But no one who denies Jesus Christ has come to know the Father. No religion, no matter how established, how esteemed, whatever it is, anyone who denies the Son does not have the Father. Jesus said himself of himself in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Exclusivity. The only way to be saved is through the God-man, Jesus Christ. Through faith in his death and resurrection. There's no way to be saved. No works, no church, nothing. No way to be saved. You come to the person of Jesus and you fall flat. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. I've got nothing. I have sinned against you, God, and you died. You sent your son to die for my wickedness. I don't know why, but I, I receive it. I believe it. And God grants you salvation because that's who he is. Loving, kind, gracious. He convicts us. He leads us to it, and he gives us it. Nothing we can do. See, man's religion always says, I can earn it. I can step up. I can do X, Y, and Z to get it. No, that's why we do what we do is because he's done it all for us. But Jesus says, I'm the way. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to me except to the Father. No one who denies this. The Son has the Father, John says. But on the other hand, guess what? Whoever. What does it say? Confesses the Son, what? Has the Father. What does it mean to confess? It means to agree. It means I agree with what you say about the Son, God. I confess he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He's the one who came and died. He's the way, the truth, and life. I confess all that he is. I believe. And if you confess the Son, guess who you have? You have the Father. When Jesus was resurrected before he ascended, he appeared to his disciples. He was speaking to them. And one of them said, show me the Father. And what did he say? Have I been with you so long you don't see me? You've seen me. You have what? You've seen the Father. You've got me. You've got the Father. He and I are one. I'm God in the flesh. They're a package deal. No son, no father. But if you have the Son, you better believe that you have the Father. Isn't that awesome? And so John tells them, and, and us in verse 24, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. The gospel. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. The gospel that you heard from the beginning. Not this stuff these other guys were peddling. The gospel. For God so loved the world. John 3.16, going to read that through verse 18. Is that like a little, read a little longer? 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Why? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. This is the gospel that John preached. Keep it and you'll abide. That's the foundation. That's everything. And you have eternal life. But that is not what these guys were telling them. It was some perversion of Jesus that you needed their special ability in order to get to know God. Instead of responding in faith in the gospel, right? They were telling, teaching them some way of works or something that was off. And John says in verse 26, he says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Again, you have no need that anyone should teach you. The Holy Spirit is your primary teacher, church. If you are, if you believed in the gospel, he's in you. Now, it's amazing how a brand new Christian, and I, and I kind of, alluded to this earlier, how a brand new Christian who really doesn't know how to get to the verses um, can be told something that's off and they have immediate discernment that something's off. I don't know where to find the truth. I don't, I don't know any of all this stuff, but somehow I know this is off. And then how many of you have had the experience, I'm talking about an experience, okay, it's experiential, um, where God has, where, where, where not knowing how, you just know something's off, you don't know what it is, and then immediately the Lord follows it up with a, a message, or he, he talks about the exact thing that day in church, or or gives you a message on the radio, whatever it might be, and all of a sudden there's clarity that happens, and you're like, you're going, wow, what's going on here? The Holy Spirit's teaching you. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. It's it's amazing. He's saying, listen, you have no one, you don't, you don't need these guys. The Holy Spirit's in you. And I remember that distinctly happening to me in, in many ways how God worked that out. Now, when John's saying that they don't need a teacher, this is not saying that Pastor Matt is obsolete. I just want that to be very clear right away. That's not what it's saying. It's not saying that mom and dad, godly mom and dad, are, are obsolete. It's not saying that Sunday school teachers are obsolete, that elder so-and-so is obsolete, or the Bible study leader you have who's gifted in teaching by the Lord is obsolete. That's not what he's saying. Oh, I don't need you. I'm good. I've got the Holy Spirit. And then you go start your own weird church. That's not, that's not good. That's not what he's talking about. That's not John's point. Actually, we know from Ephesians 4, 11, that he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, another word for pastor, and teachers. Why? Verse, 20, verse 12 of Ephesians 4, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, womanhood, to the to measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be tossed as children to and fro by the waves of every doctrine of man. 
You got the Holy Spirit, but you need spiritual parents around you to help mold and shape and guide and encourage you in the Lord and to, and to build you up and to help you with your discernment. And, and as we grow together, I need it. You need it. We need each other in the Lord as God's put those gifts of God in the body of Christ to encourage you. Man, we lean into them and we grow. But ultimately what is very important is that Yes, God has ordained teachers and elders and these people in the church to teach and to protect you from false doctrine and all that stuff. But ultimately, you've got to test that stuff against the Word. The Word of, the God, of God is the standard by which we test things. John's going to go on um, in chapter 4 and say, man, you test the spirits. You know, Pastor Matt shouldn't have any new truth to teach you. I am not an apostle. I'm not receiving any new revelation from God to download to his church. Sorry. It's already been done through the apostles that he ordained and he chose way back when. And they all died and they handed what they heard from Jesus to us. So I'm not, be careful when you hear, I've got, this is what God's saying to you and all this type of stuff. I'm not an apostle. The men in your Bible were apostles there. They were the ones. They received the Lord. They delivered it. And we who teach the word are supposed to be empowered and gifted by the Holy Spirit to teach you what Jesus said and what his apostles said concerning Christ. And as you listen, you are to test the spirits, John says in John chapter 4, uh, 1 John chapter 4. You're supposed to test what's being taught. You know, we're to, we're to become like Bereans, and that's a term out of Acts 17, where it says that these Jews who they came upon were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? They received the word with all eagerness. They were anxious to hear what God says. But guess what? Examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Ooh. Now, I don't want a bunch of contention, right? <laughs> I'm not looking for people to beat me up, but man, everything I'm saying, you better take and you better test. Will you do that? We go and open the word and say, was Matt like off today or what? Well, I, something was weird. You know, and sometimes, you know, you can come to me and say something like, I should have said that better. You're right. But examine it before the Lord. Prayerfully test with it, not to get a conspiracy theory and overthrow the government. No, none of that. That we would seek the truth together, that, that, that the Lord would be glorified in his church. Amen? They were testing to see what was being taught, what was true. Not your truth, not my truth, but what his word says. Um, and John just says, but in his, as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it is, it has taught you abide in him. We know when the truth's being taught as believers, there's an amen, there's a connection, there's a yes. Our hearts rejoice in the truth. So the Lord himself will teach you according to truth and 
And so you and I must learn of him. We must open the word and, and let his word open us. We must be in the word so the word can be in us. We must be gathered together as iron sharpens iron and not just, you know, <clears throat> I really want you to catch yourselves in your home studies and all these types of things. It's not what do you think the word says. It's not what you think it says. What is it saying? It's not our, 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 our collective, you know, I've been in Bible studies where we sit together and we'll open a word and we go, oh, we have to come to this kind of understanding. And it's, that's not what it's saying. And we can all be deceived. What is it saying? If you don't know, just say, I don't know. <laughs> right? And then pray to the Lord and, and seek him on it and maybe pull in some more mature believers. I just want to encourage you guys to, the Holy Spirit will lead you and teach you and encourage you and grow you. And he's put people around you to help that process. And he's also put, you know, discernment in your hearts. And we need it in this age. There's so many voices speaking at you. We need discernment. We need to grow. And see, as we grow in the Lord, Hebrews talks about this. I know I'm kind of going all over the place. But as, as Hebrews says, he's, he's saying, listen, as you chew on the word over time, as, as you walk with the Lord, as you gain discernment in your walk with the Lord, guess what happens? You start to be able to really discern good and evil. It's no longer just, hey, I know this is wrong, but I don't know why. It's like, I know how this matches up against the character of my God who I know and I love. I absolutely know his heart in this matter. I know what pleases him, what doesn't, what what he would desire to happen, happen in this circumstance or, or what wouldn't. You know the Lord and, and you can jump to the verses that proclaim that, that, that reveal that and show that. They're buried in your heart. The Holy Spirit starts to draw them, you know, we're, we're depositing his word in his heart and he pulls it up at the appropriate time. Better than I'm doing right now. But as we, as we pray in fellowship and abide in the light, his truth. The Holy Spirit grows us in the knowledge and the truth of who God is and our love for him and others. Um, you know, I, I just, as, I, as I'm kind of looking at this, just, just in closing, we need a godly worldview, church. We need a godly worldview. And the world is pressing its its worldview, its prism through which it wants you to view God and each other and the relationships that are going on in this world and all the conflicts, it is, it's pushing its agenda on you. And I want you to outright reject it. I want you to say, no, I'm not going to do that. No matter if it's aligned with your political philosophy or against it, just go to the, your father and find out what he says about what's going on and don't just get in your group and have an echo chamber of, of, of whatever it is go to the lord go to your father and find out what he is saying about any particular thing we need discernment we need wisdom in this day and age and, and we want truth to reign and rule and it starts within our hearts in this church and it echoes out and so um just remember false teachers are always going to tickle your ears I'm going to tell you what you want to hear. You're going to go, yeah. So who are, who are the people that you're listening to? 
Where do you get your spiritual food from? What books are you reading? I'm not telling you to burn all your books and do all stuff, but I mean, just ask yourself, what, what are, who are the people who are influencing how I think about stuff? Is it talk radio? Is it, you know, this podcast or that book or this pastor or this situation? What, what is it? Really evaluate yourself and just take it before the Lord and say, Lord, have I allowed false teachers into my life? Have I allowed competing voices into my life? Not that I can't hear all these things, but as I'm starting to believe these things, you know, I just, I know I'm speaking vaguely, but I can tell my heart when I start to pull away and I start to listen to things too much. I start to talk like them and listen like them and think like them. And it's like, it doesn't, you can tell in your heart, you're just like, yuck, what's going on here? But when I'm in the word and I'm with the people of the Lord and I'm in fellowship and, you know, and there's a sharpening going on, there's a sweetness in my heart. And that's, that's where I want to go personally. That's where I want us to go more and more. And um, there's just so much room for junk. So I just want to exhort you and encourage you to, in the times we're living to, um, to be aware that there are antichrists among us and, and, and to just follow the Lord as always. Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you so much for this morning. Um, God, we are, we are in great need of you to teach us. We're so thankful that you've given us who believe in Christ, the anointing of your spirit, that we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within us. And so teach us, Lord. As we open our Bibles by ourselves and, and, and read a passage, make it come alive, Father. Help us to have your understanding of, of what you want to say. Lord, may we match up any philosophy, any agenda against what your word says. May it reign supreme in our hearts. Lord, give us discernment regarding the influences we have in our lives. Whatever is not of you, Lord, take away, trim, remove, that we might bear fruit. Lord, I pray for healing for us in this area. Pray for your spirit to do a deep work. That the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart may be pleasing to you. Lord, I just want to thank you again for the fellowship we have here in your name. You're so good. Bless each and every one. Lord, as they leave this place and go out into the world, that's going to be screaming at them in about 30 seconds. So we pray for your leading this week. In the name of Jesus, amen.